Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to a brand new extra, extra special episode of Colton Classic Podcast. This is the podcast where we normally bring you two thematically related films, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both. But today I have an extra special interview episode with the amazing and lovely Parker Love Bowling. Hello, Parker. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Now, do you? I know that you're you're always credited as Parker Love Bowling. Do you go by Parker? Do you go by Parker Love? If somebody were to meet you on the street and has you ask you a question, which would you prefer? Oh, I would just say Parker. It's. I think <laughs> I have to say I kind of I love. You know, both you and your sisters, Kansas Bowling, uh-huh. have unique names, and it's instantly recognizable um i remember watching we reviewed veronica on this podcast and kansas is a, is a small part yeah. uh, in the last segment and i i mean i i have seen you and your sister's work and i never would have realized it was her but because her name is so recognizable i was like oh oh that was kansas okay yeah. great so i think do you think that's a, it's a little bonus you know like a I mean, unique name yeah i mean it it helps i guess it's true i guess there's really no barometer towards that um so i really wanted to have you on because i'm a big fan of um your work and follow your instagram and for listeners out there definitely check out your instagram it's at parker love bowling Mm -hmm. and um you have a lot of great art and promotions and cool things coming up but (laughs) one yeah well Let's talk about the aesthetic real quick because I know you've done uh, you you've done a short film. You're working on another short film, correct? And yeah. you, your sister is a filmmaker. You're often in her films as well as other projects. But you have this really cool, I call it like a genuine '70s grindhouse vibe with your style and presentation. And it's really, I mean, especially here in the cult film world, like that's sought really hard. And usually it comes across as kind of cheesy. Like you can always tell something that's legitimate. Uh, vintage versus something that is just intended to look that way Um, and yet with your work it really looks that way to me like it looks like I found a bad transfer somewhere that's just got enough definition to really be attractive like where does that aesthetic Um, in the best way possible that's the best compliment we can give here at Colton Classic I mean the camera I shoot on is like pretty fuzzy so it's mm-hmm. just like a matter of the equipment I have, I guess. Like Kansas's work is definitely like more defined because her camera is a lot better. 
Well, and I mean, you guys both have experience, right? Because wasn't it because you're the first feature that uh, you were in that Kansas made was BC Butcher, correct? Yes. And you were 15, she was 17, uh -huh. somewhere around there. And that was on 16 millimeter, right? Yeah, she didn't shoot that one. Um, oh, okay. But she basically, um, I, I could be wrong here. So um, I think what she did is she was talking to the cinematographer of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I think she I was like, that. what did you shoot on? I love how this movie looks. I want my movie to look exactly like it. And I think he told her the camera and I think she ran it the same one. That's fantastic. And I that, and that is that, <laughs> well, that's that seventies grindhouse, right? Like it's sort of the epitome. When I think of that, you know, the most successful sort of grindhouse film I would peg as, as Hooper's, you know, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and it does have that same uh, almost uncorrected proof print look, hmm. you know, uh, for film, which is really cool. And I noticed the same thing in the trailer for your brand new book of poetry that's coming out uh, and is available for pre-order now called Rhododendron. Uh, is it called Rhododendron, Rhododendron? It is called Rhododendron, Rhododendron. Great. And the, the poem itself that is titled after is called Just Rhododendron, correct? Um, well, there's three poems. There's rhododendron, there's rhododendron, rhododendron, and then there's rhododendron, rhododendron, rhododendron. That is, that is I would never have known that. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. So, but I, I definitely want to have you read uh, a couple of poems here, but I want to ask you, like, where did the desire to come or came for writing poetry? Because I know that my background is is fiction writing and I have an MFA and all that and all that junk. And oftentimes in the film world uh, and even the visual arts world, photography and all that, I feel like writing is sort of this distant, uh, harder to access area for a lot of people. Um, and I feel like sometimes when you say like, oh, I have a book published, um, a film person's like, uh-huh, great. And then you, and then they move on, you know, what did, but all of your work seems to come together and have a similar vibe and rhododendron rhododendron um how did it come about um well i mean i've always just written poetry like my whole life even before i really knew what i was doing um so i basically just had like a big catalog of work and it was fun to go through it and figure out what was shit and what was good enough to publish. <laughs> and then there's some of them that I'm like, oh, that poem is shit, but like, it's so sentimental that I have to publish it. Sure, I, um, I totally get that. But I think like last July, um, my sister came out with um, a book with this company called Far West Press. Mm -hmm. And she wrote a book called A Cuddly Toys Companion, which is basically, mm -hmm a making of story of her next feature called Cuddly Toys. Very excited about that. You're in that as well, yes. I am in that. Um, I am very proud to be in that movie. I think it's really fantastic. But um, I basically just sent the publisher of her book, all my poems, and he liked them. And after that, it was just the process of editing them down and finally came together in a neat little book so <laughs> what was that process like sort of because I don't know when you wrote because you you have your um you made a short film uh yourself and you're working on a second one mm -hmm. and trying to remember the name it's got an awesome name Our Lady Crucifixion right yes folks can go find the trailer online um and check it out when you wrote like when you worked on that I often find that 
there's more creative control per se, and less checks and balances than when you're working on a manuscript that somebody else is publishing. Is that what you found? And how was that different? Like having the shots called exclusively by you and having someone coming back and saying, hey, what about tweaking this? That's an interesting question. In my experience, though, because it is such a small press, like um, he gave the publisher named uh, William Crane, he gave a lot of creative control to me. And I basically laid it out in like a word exactly how I wanted it to look mm -hmm. like um, he didn't make me cut anything. Um, That's fantastic. There were a couple <laughs> poems that like there was a struggle and I'm like, no, I'm sorry, keeping it. But um, I mean, if it was a bigger publishing house, then it probably would have been a lot more difficult. But it was interesting to kind of just like give it to somebody else and let it go opposed to mm -hmm. like when I make a short film that's just for me, I can do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too, that you said, like there were a couple, you're like, nope, it's gotta be this. And mm -hmm. I found too, when talking to uh, a lot of uh, writers I know who are, are much more well-published than me with major houses and things, is that oftentimes as a first or second or third, you know, an early career publish person publishing, they don't think that they have that ability, <laughs> you know, to say like, no, this, there's a reason this is the way it is. Um, and so it's nice to hear that, you know, like you said, working with um, a small press, you have a little bit more ability to say, no, I, this is what I want and take it or leave it. We can move on from there uh, and to have that. So I'm really excited. And where can people go to pre-order Rhododendron, um, Rhododendron? Go to farwestpress.com. My poetry book, Rhododendron, Rhododendron, is on there. Kansas's book is on there, but I warn you, do not read it if you have not seen the movie yet. And the movie's not officially out till I think the fall. So I was going to say, I haven't <laughs> been able to see it yet. So I... <laughs> but I think like the first page of the book, it just says like, warning, you will not understand anything in, of, in this book unless you see the movie. But a lot of people have the book and haven't seen the movie, which is funny. And then he also, um, Far West also put out pre-written letters for your convenience that me and Kansas wrote when we were like eight and 10. And I love, you just, right before we started recording, you started telling me about this project. And I have to say, I love the cover art. It totally reminds me of, um, you know, Ghost World and-, and uh, Thank you. Um, our friend Elizabeth Zamitz did the cover art. She's a that really is, good illustrator. It's awesome. Um, tell me a little bit about this book. It's letters that you and Kansas wrote when you guys were like eight and 10, right? Yeah, we just had like kind of like a ongoing joke where we would write each other letters to and from fictional people that didn't really make sense. Um, but we thought how convenient it would be if we put them all in a book for people to cut out and send each other so you never have to write another letter again. But they're all super specific, so good luck. But I can read a couple <laughs> if you want. I would love it. I would absolutely love it. And they're scans, right? You said they're not actually typed. They're the scans of the yeah, original they're letters. Just scans. There's um there's like drawings and like my handwriting when I'm like eight trying to be cursive <laughs> that you cannot read at all. Um, but there's some there's some uh, convenient letters in here, like um Dear Prezi of the United Steezy, I don't like the way things are run around here. Fix it angry American. I'm going off the grid if you keep it up. I would have to photocopy it because I'm going to have to use that so oh. many times. Oh, you can just cut it straight out of the book. <laughs> That's how convenient this is. 
I think I'm going to need it every four years, probably. Um, <laughs> that's so uh, cool. Can you give us another one? Yeah. Johnny, things went bad last night. I'm shot. Give all my records to Roger and you get my rabbit Cherokee. Tell me I love, tell me I love her and give her a kiss. Oh, tell Ma I love her and give her a kiss. See, I can't even read our <laughs> I'm sorry. So it's just like a real letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, whatever. Love you, Mothro. That is fantastic. I love it. Uh, it, it I, it's not the same, but it reminds me, um, you, you live in LA. Have you been to the Museum of Jurassic Technology before? I have not. Okay. So there's, I'm going to have to get them on here sometime. There is a Museum of Jurassic Technology, which for those confused by the title, uh, that's understandable because it means absolutely nothing. But what they do is they have really bizarre uh, displays and features like things from older uh, museums that are not really museum worthy, like say uh, a stuffed tiger that's that roars that really isn't a stuffed tiger. It's just the skin of a like weird vintage old things, you know, real kitsch. I think someone told me about it before. Well, they they put out a book from a um, a an exhibit that they had where they took letters that they had been received over like decades uh, from the Griffith Observatory mm-hmm. and they papered an entire room with it and you were just going to walk and they took all the letters and they scanned them in and printed them and the letters are in that particular case really bonkers because apparently people who have unique ideas about aliens how to spin yarn into gold yeah, James um, Dean fans exactly they will write to yes they will write to the griff of the observatory or send faxes and so that's a similar thing like i'd love to have them i'm gonna have to pick it up just so i can have it next to the book so really, i gotta get it's, me a copy it's, it's pretty great i i think we i think we might be able to hook you up i'll let you know um <laughs> yeah so okay so rhododendron rhododendron mm-hmm. you 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 say you always and i assume we're continuing to write poetry yeah. What's this? What's the span of the book? Is there stuff that you wrote when you were, say, you know, really young to now? Is it more heavy-handed to the now? What's the ratio um, for you? There, I think, like the oldest poems in there, I was like fifteen, and then the newest ones are like as new as like February. Like me writing one, like last-minute one, be like push it under the, <laughs> under in the deadline, like trying to get last minute things in there but yeah there's definitely stuff in here that I wrote when I was very young um but I mean it's not in chronological order so it's kind of Mm -hmm. interesting I'd say like the like last fourth of the book is like pretty much in chronological order so there's more of a story there Mm -hmm. um or it's more just what I was going through like at the time I sent in my initial manuscript but there's stuff thrown in here where I'm like I don't remember writing that but the date's like 2014 (laughs) or whatever yeah (laughs) that's cool well so can you read us one um yes I'm putting you on the spot I'm like give us what we want (laughs) (laughs) um a fatal mistake I spend hours soaking in the tub till I become Parker's soup. And Peter Sellers complains to the waiter, waiter, I thought I ordered Goldie Hawn. No tip for Mr. Waiter. I love it. I love <laughs> the, well, 
here's the thing when you if you know a lot about poetry or you've taken poetry classes or whatever or gone to college for writing whatever they often talk about like the genuineness of a poem right if you come from a place if you're trying to sound smart or be clever or all these things so often it falls flat and I feel like that's similar in any creative endeavor you know we can tell yeah. the difference between I mean not to, I, I always rip on Michael Bay here. It's, it's what we do to speed of the pod. But like Transformers 3, you can tell the difference between that and- I haven't seen and, it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I, I'm just going to be honest. You don't have to, um, but that's okay. Figured, yeah. yeah, that's okay. But you can tell the difference between that and something like, I don't know, licorice pizza or whatever. You know, there's just a different level of heart that goes into certain projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that little poem you talked about you use you use film and very specific film references to get across the emotion that's happening in the poem. <laughs> yeah, Do you know what I mean? This book is jam packed with references and like uh, m- to movies, to movie stars, to writers, to psychonauts, to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And okay, so here's the other thing I want to ask too, because you and your sister as well, but. Th- you don't necessarily fit into the traditional mold of um, I am an actor, I am a writer, I am a director. You're sort of that cool creative renaissance area, right? Like you seem to take projects on because you (laughs) like creating things. Is that accurate? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I have, I mean, I haven't turned down anything. because it wasn't creative, but I've turned down auditioning for things because I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I don't think it's worth being in something that you're not excited about. Yeah. And I mean, of course, you know, if you need the money, we've all done it. But, yeah. you know, there, there are differences, you know, I mean, I remember doing comedy shows in places where I'm like, oh, I am going to not enjoy this, but there's $20 at the end of it. So let's just make it through this set. Um, so that said, uh, you mentioned the the book and then the upcoming official release of Cuddly Toys, mm-hmm. right? Which is Kansas's new movie, which you're in. And yes. I know it's, it's, you're of course not in charge, although you're part of the project. Is there anything you can tell us about that movie? Because I'm really excited uh, for when we can actually see it. Um, I don't think there's much I can say about it. I think it's going to be released sometime in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, so something you know to how? To. Okay. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I think theatrically and, um, Blu-ray. Very excited. Um, But I don't know what else I can say besides what's like already online about it. Sure. Well, uh, and guys, go check it up. Cuddly Toys, look yeah. it up. You it's can a see... documentary mm-hmm. about delinquent teenagers um, shot in like a sort of Mondo-esque fashion. We love the Mondo, you know, the Mondo documentary. You're like, what you're seeing is absolutely real-ish. Um, I you mean, know, well, some of it is, some of it's not, and right? the has to guess. Exactly. And that's sort of what I love about, um, we just recently here on the pod talked about uh, Paper Heart uh, by Charlene Yee, which is a little bit different. You know, it's a little more, it's like mainstream. I think it's mainstream effective, even though it didn't reach there. But it, it's mm-hmm. the nice melding of the actual documentary work 
with the fictional aspect and they're indistinguishable if it's done effectively. Uh, yeah. And it does give us this whole new view of um, legitimacy to things that aren't necessarily legitimate and perhaps some some fantasticalness to things that are real, you yeah. know? Um, so very excited about that. Uh, uh, I'll definitely, and, and you can tell Kansas will be harassing her to get her on here too. Um, but yeah, so the other thing I want to talk to you about, of course, is you said you make short films for you. Um, and I, I think that that's a valid thing to do, especially since right now, I think the market for short films is a little bit harder. There's a lot I mean, of film yeah, festivals. I'm, like, that... I'm not going to make money off of this. <laughs> right. Um, that said, though, I, as I said, um, Our Lady of Cruz Fiction, the trailer's out. Is there a way that people can see it? Because it looks so great. I actually saw it and I thought, uh, oh, this reminds me of Herschel Gordon Lewis in a way. Like, <laughs> I think that's a big compliment. Good. Yeah. So is there a way people can see it? Um, not yet. Um, I haven't really decided what I'm doing with it yet. Um, there are a couple last minute changes I want to make to the final edit. And then I'm thinking festivals, but I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> well, let us know, because that's super cool. And I mean, you've got another one that uh, I know that online is always questionable as to what mm -hmm. the actual accuracy is, but Boudoir, Boudoir. Right, is, is you're working on as well. What can you tell us about that one? That one was actually my first directorial project, but um, I made it when I was 19 and there's an edit of it and everything. It's finished, but... Um, now watching it later on i'm like there's so much of this i want to change mm. so i'm gonna add a whole nother section of it and then make what i already did more like dream sequence from the new part of it so it's kind of also a work in progress very cool i would love to see a, a short film collection come out someday okay. uh, because that would be really and i'd love to see one thing that is always fun is when you can see the original cut versus the final edit as well and yeah. i think that you know with a love of movies comes a love of that that weird obscure ephemera that everybody else is like i just watched the movie and you're like yeah but did you see this cut of the movie <laughs> oh no one can see it i'm mortified by it <laughs> like visually looks striking but yeah not my cup of tea anymore my there's a lot of life that happens between you know <laughs> whatever between anywhere in the in the teens to the 20s and now that i'm almost four i literally have turned 38 today so i'm a million years old hey, by my own birthday. brain thank you um i it, it yeah things change things do change the change does get more subtle though i'll say i'll say that now i can look back at things that i did in my 20s like actually i really like that or okay well maybe i'd approach it differently but yeah there are a lot of stuff i'm sure you encountered this with your poetry there, as you said there's a lot of stuff that i look at i'm like wow i don't that does not resonate with me anymore um you know and even even films sometimes we've done some on the pod here where i'm like man i loved this movie 15 years ago <laughs> and well, now it doesn't hold up anymore um you know a lot of the stuff that doesn't hold up is the straight up misogyny that is so prevalent and it's funny because it's not really we talked about this in the pod we talked about um Christoph Gatz's uh, movie Brotherhood of the Wolf. I haven't it's seen like it. it's it's Mark Dukakis uh, is in it. He's really great. It's mm -hmm. a really weird fantasy horror French Revolution period piece, mm -hmm. and it is visually stunning. But as it turned out, it's like okay, it doesn't it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. And more than that, 
you just notice the things that I'm like, oh, all of these characters, anyone who's ethnic, anyone who's poor, like as a character, they mm-hmm. happen to be poor, anyone who's a woman, they just get sidelined. And now- Yeah, but that's know, part of the time period too. It is, but it, this movie was made in 2009. No, um, I know, but it's a period piece, right? It is, it is a period piece. I mean, th- that's the thing. And we had p- panelists on, uh, a good good friend of the pad, Jeff, who is you know, not saying that it's okay to do these things, but understanding like trying to put it in context but i do yeah, find I especially it, but... <laughs> well no it's fair well i mean you mentioned herschel gordon lewis not that they're misogynistic but i 70s films are my favorite mm-hmm. and they're completely unacceptable in so many ways um uh, from film now and i actually feel like i'm not one of those people who defends you know questionable material or comedy for any reason uh but i will say I feel like in the 70s, it was understood that this is a movie, it's not real, and the incredibly shocking exploitative things we're seeing, everyone's, like, it's easier to remind ourselves that everyone's mm-hmm. in on the the joke or the material or whatever, right? Like, these are actors. Whereas now, I feel like when people put stuff out that they're concerned about, there's, you know, there's this gun-shy nature to really, to dog on it. And, you know, it comes with the territory of having people who are, are either oppressed or put upon um, in some way. Understandably, I would be gun-shy too, but it's hard for me coming from a position as a middle-class, white, hetero, cis male. You know, it, Nothing is that hard for me uh, compared to other people. That said, you and your sister entered sort of the film world young, and are both women have you found i mean it's sort of you guys have such a unique view that i wonder if you guys found a way in by saying hey this is how we see things this is what we want to do and that's the way it is or did you encounter any barriers you know what do you- oh that's cute well for example age you know i mean i know uh when kansas and you were involved with BC Butcher, it was, you know, you guys were still teenagers. Um, yeah, and now- There's definitely more people that, it's either like, oh, she's young, I'm not gonna listen to her, or like, oh, you're so young, how do you know about this? It's either one or the <laughs> <Yeah>. other. <laughs> right, and you're I like, actually, right. <laughs> at, this, at this point, I probably know more than you do. I mean, uh, speaking of which, you and Kansas were in, uh, once upon a time in hollywood by quentin tarantino which yes we were was, very cool <laughs> that is so cool i mean that's got to be a bucket list item right that you oh, got out of the totally park right away mm-hmm. what was the experience being on set i mean you guys for anyone who hasn't seen the film first go see the movie i don't know why you're waiting and also read the book uh tarantino's novel cut when that's available to you uh check it out but you guys play manson girls mm-hmm. uh it's a it's a it's a period film and and it, it deals with a little bit with Sharon Tate's murder and things and you were Manson Girls which is a wild role to have mm-hmm. um, and very striking in the movie how did that come about and what was it like well um I was in my bedroom when I was just like reading the news and saw the movie announcement and all it said was like Quentin Tarantino to make Manson Murders film and my heart dropped and I called my sister immediately. I'm like, Kansas, we need to play Manson Girls in this film. And she's like, oh my God, he's doing that? That's insane. So basically um, we were just trying to figure out how to get to him to yeah. 
play this role. And um, there was an anniversary screening of Reservoir Dogs that he was going to be at. So we went and we just went right up to him. We went, don't we look like Manson girls? And he's just like, oh, yeah, I'll make sure you guys are in the audition room. And that is so that great. That. Yeah. And then um, we totally thought he would forget, but he's a man of he's his word. Yeah, guy. and he's he, he's on the ball. That's really cool. Um, and I mean, you were in the you guys were in scenes with some really amazing, amazing um cast as well. When you, so first off, did you guys go to the premiere? I hope. I did. Kansas was out of town. Ah, uh, that's cool. Well, what was it? Was it cool? Was that actually? That's probably. I mean, that's a that was a huge movie premiere. Um. Yeah, it's the only studio movie I've ever done. Um, it's what a one to do uh, yeah. <laughs> um that's so cool and i love hearing you know that whole thing it's like it's who you know well it's also the opportunities that you seek out um mm -hmm. i have i am on pretty much harassing uh several filmmakers that i know on a regular basis like mm -hmm. keep me in mind and we'll see what happens uh, <laughs> as i think i get farther away from the possibility the more emails i send but well, that's I mean, okay sometimes that's what you have to do and a lot of people you'd be surprised are really responsive yeah well you know we have parker love bowling on the pod today and that was just uh, i think it, i don't even know did i reach out through instagram i think um first think or was it email me. i don't okay. know I try, I, it depends. Some people, I, any budding journalists out there, people who want to be involved with anything they love, use, use social media and email, try all angles. Cause some people, you know, do one and not the other. And yeah, I don't really check my messages on Instagram. Instagram. Well, and it's also when you get to a certain point, I think, you know, when you get to a certain number of followers, it's probably best not to check them <laughs> regularly. Uh, but you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about is, as I look at my my notes here, because I got totally distracted from everything, thinking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, which <laughs> I'm going to have to watch. Um, when you approach, when you approach writing a script, what does the script look like? Because I found that when you're writing a script that you plan to direct and make yourself, it's often a very different experience than when you write something that you intend someone else to handle. Mm -hmm. So what is that for you? Like, what is what is the, the Our Lady of Crucifixion script look like to you? And how did you go about crafting it? Well, how I do scripts is I'll, I'll like write the outline longhand, but I cannot write a whole script longhand. Like I have to type it opposed to like if I'm writing a poem like I cannot type it on the computer at all mm. um but I have written scripts for other people and it's just you know all action but when it's one of my projects it's like notes about the costumes and the sets and like mm. even like um angles everything yeah it becomes much more like a shooting script because you're like yeah. well I'm cutting out this middle step I know what I'm gonna do yeah um when you so I'll leave crucifixion. Is there any, is there any actual filming that you want to do left? Or are you, are you just in the editing polishing moment? Are you, everything you have is what you're going to use. Yeah, I have all the footage. I um, actually shot most of it, like in the height of the pandemic. Um, what is that? I saw it like in the summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and then like this time last year, I shot additional stuff that I wanted to use for more like inserty mm -hmm. type things um, because it just felt so unfinished. But now I think I have enough footage and it's just all about the final tweaks on the edit. 
so cool. So I, I love the idea of doing festivals again, because festivals are actually happening again. Mm -hmm. um, when, <clears throat> I guess what I would say is, okay, so you go to festivals, hopefully it does, I'm sure it will do really well, it looks fantastic. There's a lot of, yeah. um, well, it's unique. And, and I, again, I urge people on YouTube, you have the, the trailer up now. Mm -hmm. Uh, go check it out. You also have a trailer for Rhododendron, Rhododendron, which is really cool. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> now, as a, this is a sidetrack, this is how my brain works. Um, did uh, Far, did the, sorry, the uh, Far West, did they ask you to do a trailer? Um, not necessarily. There's a couple of the books that have um, trailers, or I think there was a trailer for like a group of three books, but I, it was just mm -hmm. something that, um, I wanted to make um, my friend who took the cover photos. Mm -hmm. I just brought my camera and I had him shoot some like B-roll of the shoot to have as like archival footage, but then it looked really good. So I just made a little edit for it. It does look really good. It looks <laughs> like uh, I was, it made me think again, more 70s films, uh, but Messiah of Evil. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It has like, the, the plot is the plot is unimportant um but the visuals in that movie you should check it out it's super cool just had a re-release and uh it's got that really moody everything's sort of washed out but with high contrast mm -hmm. um and and a lot of film grain and that is what it reminds me of like watching just that really short trailer i i would have known i'm like is this something you did <laughs> you know and then of course you're in it so it's pretty obvious uh, and it has the text and everything yeah I think, I, I think like all the shots I'm not in like was me shooting otherwise it was uh the photographer who did the cover pictures as well as a lot of the images inside the book there's um oh images inside in cool. yeah um and then we made the score for the trailer together too that's so cool so uh, the other reason I asked is because there's a lot of debate in like the writing community of should your book have a trailer? Because a lot of times things like a James Patterson book paperback will have like a trailer now. But then I also found that a trailer is just another opportunity to get the unique vision of the project across it. Like, and in this case, I'd, I'd read one of the poems that I think was published on medium uh, before, you know, um, watching the trailer. And when I found the trailer, I watched it and was like, oh, this is cool because it actually adds like this extra layer of perspective and mood to the piece. And so I, I really liked the idea of that. And I'm glad you put that out Thank there. And I people yeah, I would say the trailer and the cover um, definitely speaks to the theme of the poems inside. And I love the cover. It's got like handwritten letters on top of this photograph mm -hmm. of you surrounded by a, a bunch of sort of odd look it looks almost like you're being um uh cornered by the world's actually yeah, i was gonna say biggest but it's supposed to be like rosemary's baby yes it's very much that moment you know uh when, <laughs> when she's when she's looking and there's just people looking down at her um or like a really aggressive ska band um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but no it's really cool i absolutely love it yeah uh, um, the cover was based on a couple things there's this uh uh, picture of Eve Babbitt's playing chess with Marcel Duchamp, but she's naked. Mm -hmm. um, I love Eve Babbitt. That was kind of like the main inspiration for okay. the that. Make, I can see that now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but basically, this is just this is a one photograph of me, and then this is just collaged. So it's just the same men. Over really? Over That's yeah, funny. It actually, because it doesn't, it looks like it could have been shot 
as is you know uh, especially after watching the trailer and seeing the footage i'm gonna have to take another look at that that was really cool so we've talked about like really these nuanced little things i think that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily consider in a project mm -hmm. and i think that comes down to why your projects that have come out so far and and you're you're still very young obviously i'm sure you in kansas will have many more things and you've got a bunch of films you're you're already involved with uh, yeah i've been a, a good amount i i will i'm trying to direct my first feature this summer that's fantastic uh mm -hmm. prepare to be inundated with emails from me uh <laughs> but yeah no it's it's the the breadth of work you have shows a real attention to detail and i appreciate that you're coming from what seems to be a place of creativity rather than monetary necessity and i'm again we all deal with that on some level right like yeah. you want to do a feature well it's a budget that's what it is right if you have the money you can do the feature uh or if you you know yeah i have the money but i also need to eat and pay rent and stuff like we all deal with that but when we get that moment or when we find a way to get that moment where we can just put what we want down on paper um or in film or whatever it can be really special and as you said once upon a time in hollywood was is your only studio film yeah. to date i kind of it, it makes sense to me not because you know oh well you haven't been in major hollywood studio scene that much it's more because that film is from someone who has such influence and power that he can get the money to do the passion project that he wants the way he wants it. And all the other smaller projects are somebody else's passion project. And that's why they're not big studio because, you know, that's a higher risk for the studio. And sometimes people just want full creative control and you can only do that if you're somehow paying the bills yourself. Um, so do you already have an idea of what your directorial feature debut would be? um absolutely you have a script but, um yes oh, but I'm it, so excited. um i'm working with someone else on it because it is actually a biopic oh um so i'm kind of working with um the estate or people involved somebody's, uh, somebody's husband oh okay very cool i won't guess i won't blow the lid um but that's really that's really great and down i'm colton classic podcast here of course as listeners know based down here in palm springs and we get a lot of really amazing people who come here in retirement or later in life or after someone else has passed and they have those connections with amazing people so we get a lot of the biopics a lot of the documentary filmmakers down here um so that's always a really great opportunity to sort of build the history of, of filmmaking and creativity and people in general and tell really interesting stories that I think, I don't know if you do, I feel like that's actually becoming more in vogue again. For a long time, we were focusing on purely fictional films that really, they may have some narrative theme that was important to the time, but now we're actually looking and as I said, building history, because stuff could have happened 20 years ago, but unless you put it down on paper or put it in a movie, it's going to disappear. Yeah. Um, I was talking to some fantastic people who are working on um, some stuff from Russ Meyers films mm -hmm. down here, you know, and like, it's, it's, it's just really, uh, and, and talking to Mary Warnoff, who was talking about, um, you know, her, her years 
in the with Andy Warhol and like all of those stories will disappear if we don't tell them yeah um, so that's cool now as a with the biopic and especially working with someone who is close to the individual mm-hmm. I imagine there's a lot of depending on the individual and how they feel there's a lot of delicacy you may have to do with certain aspects yeah. um well who, who I'm working with is really great and um they just haven't, I haven't given them my full draft yet for approval mm-hmm. and accuracy. So it's not, mm-hmm. the script's not completely uh, complete because I want them to kind of comb through it and be like, oh, she would never say that. Right. Like, oh, this isn't exactly how this happened. That's, and that's really important too. And keeping the dramatic side effective, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's conflicting. Like I think we just, uh, Fiend of the Pod, Peaches Christ just did a screening with Heclina down here and some other great, queens um of mommy dearest mm-hmm. and watching mommy dearest especially on the big screen mm-hmm. i had never seen it on the big screen it's like wow this is amazing in many ways and so wild in some ways and mm-hmm. the conflicting reports like it just strikes a chord with people right because you're dealing with someone who really existed and yeah. people know that person knew that person and so when you actually have them on screen um you had people saying, yep, that you nailed it. And other people like, this is a defilement. It is a lie. It is incredibly. And so it's just fascinating to see that, especially, I mean, Joan Crawford is a very divisive character. Um, yeah. And I mean, I feel like that movie is pretty accurate to the book. There's like a, just a couple things that were embellished, sure, like a sure. whole choking scene. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's pretty spot on. And actually there's fucked up shit in the book where I was like, why isn't this in the movie? This is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny too, because then you have, you know, the family differs, right? The two later uh, adopted children are like, that didn't happen. And of course, you know, her daughter who wrote the book is like, yes, it did. And her brother is like, yeah, it did happen. And then other people, this is ridiculous. I think Betty Davis, you know, notoriously didn't like Joan Crawford was mm-hmm. like, she didn't deserve that. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, well, that's easier to say when she's dead and you don't <laughs> <laughs> to do about that but yeah anyway so it's just really fascinating and uh I, I can't wait to hear more about the film that you want to do and what you're working on thank you yeah hopefully it will come together soon very cool very cool well now I, as we're getting close to this wrap up i just want to say definitely everybody listening here today go to farwestpress.com and check out parker love bowling's new book as well as the book of letters that she did with kansas what's the book of letters called again it's called pre-written letters for your convenience pre-written letters for your convenience i love it it sounds sort of like a wes anderson prop you know Um, (laughs) i love it um and then you and then of course uh cuddly toys companion is also there as well Mm -hmm. Um, don't read it until the movie comes out but absolutely buy it yeah. And I'm very excited for that. And I am just putting it out there. I really, really cannot wait for the future when you put out a collection of the shorts because I really want to see those. I think yeah, shorts I was, are... I was thinking of holding on to them for the greater public till I had three. Mm-hmm. That's sort of nice because then you get like a sort of triptych, right? You can do, mm-hmm. um, you could even have a, a really, you know, great <laughs> narrative uh, device beginning and ending framing yeah, story, right. you know? I mean, I also... Um... I make a lot of documentary shorts as well that mm-hmm. I haven't released, like kind of in the vein of less blank. Very cool. Um, but definitely going to wait till I have a, a bigger collection of those as well. Well, it's neat to know that things are present and not available yet because I, <laughs> I 
you know, working, talking with people is, for example, the Warhol Museum, you know, there's just like, there is hundreds of hours of material that mm -hmm. is just not, people don't know it exists. It's available, you know, you can check it out in that case, but like it exists. And to know that there are things that are coming out helps, especially you know, we're all post COVID. There's a, a drought of things. Some amazing things came out of COVID. As you said, you filmed a lot of, um, uh, of, of your last short, but like there also has been a glut. We couldn't work together in the way we did before. You know, like there is, I mean, there's pluses. We're getting more foreign films into big theaters because they don't have enough to show. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that lack of, um, of, material i think got a lot of us especially in the film criticism world sort of like ho-hum you know yeah. let's 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 dig in the archives let's find something else and which is kind of ridiculous because there's you know 100 years worth of film that we could we could continue to watch and talk about but it's nice yeah, to know that there's more is my up. favorite thing to do <laughs> it's i i you can't i always for these videos those of you watching on youtube.com when this becomes available uh, as our whole catalog will be uploaded by the end of the year I, you can't see behind me, but the Colton Classic Studio is filled with stacks and stacks of books and movies, mm -hmm. of which a fraction have been touched upon, uh, and and uh, it's a never-ending journey. That's the, to me, favorite? that's a favorite movie. Mm -hmm. or, oh, a favorite movie! You're, you're cutting, you're cutting the quick here. Um, <laughs> I I honestly don't think there is a favorite i know as a host i could pick some of my favorites and then the rest of our panelists would uh would completely disagree and pick their own um <laughs> but uh i have some favorites from that we've covered on the pod uh and uh i think i would actually pick if we're going not not contemporary mm. i would go with william freakin's cruising with al pacino i think that that was actually quite a brilliant film even if it's messy and had problems and then i also um for a mainstream pick nightcrawler uh was very very good and really upsetting but i think it speaks to our sociopathic nature these days mm -hmm. um but there's there's so many uh and i i loved and that last choice i guess i would make is um nelvana's 1980s animated rock and roll opera called rock and rule oh you yeah i've seen that i love that <laughs> movie so good. much yeah and and <laughs> i just and, during quarantine actually oh i absolutely love it we we talked about it a bunch and um i i force everyone to watch it and and i get these things it's the problem is though is that my wife i think hates it not mm -hmm. because she hates the movie but because i just sing like debbie harry's snippets from the final song because that's all that sticks in my head well enough for me to remember and it's just yeah, super obnoxious on sunday oh that's so see i'm jealous that's one thing down here in palm springs we have some super cool stuff we have the best drag because everyone comes down here and there's of course the lgbtqia plus scene is really great down here but and we also get a lot of great films and people come and show their films but we don't get the musicians uh that that you guys get up in la so we have to make the trek Oh, Chris days. Stein is in um, Our Lady. That's absolutely fantastic. That just mm -hmm. means that uh, I have to watch it. And hopefully uh, you'll let us know when you get it. If I'm sure it's, I mean, I've seen the trailer. I know enough. It's going to get in festivals. That's not a question, just where you want it to play. So if it mm -hmm. plays in California, let us know. We'll definitely. Uh, okay, we'll, great. We'll, yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll bully our way into some press passes and get mm -hmm. there. 
Um, well, thank you so, so much for being here, Parker. This has been awesome. And um, when you have a next project come out, I want to have you back on because I'm going to pick your brain about it. And Okay, great. Uh, Looking and forward I, and, to that. Yeah, and just set my emails on uh, junk because you're going to get a bunch of obnoxious things from me about <laughs> casting. Uh, so yeah, so thank you so much. And listeners, please follow Parker Love Bowling on Instagram at Parker Love Bowling and go to Far West press.com and pre-order the book are you gonna do are you planning to do any reading tour at all any bookstore i am i'm going to new york in july and i'm trying to set up um a good amount of readings uh around the east coast uh, boston provincetown baltimore very cool very cool you always got to hit newberry comics bull moose music all those things of course yeah that's, that's fun stuff too all right well is there anything else you'd like to tell people about before we sign off um no i think that's it <laughs> all right just keep an eye out things are coming order down order the my, pipeline order my book <laughs> that's right and it actually it's it's available for pre-order now but it actually releases when june 21st June 21st. Awesome. So pre-order it, get that copy. available in uh, stores as well. Excellent. Get that copy and then you can go to a reading and, and have Parker sign it. I'm sure that, you know, your hands will be cramped by the end. <laughs> All right. And listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. We'll be back with another pairing of mainstream and cult films to discuss with our panel next week. And to play us out, as always, is The Chud with All About Evil. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Cult and Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit cultandclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.